So give me just a second. Right, do you always feel a little drunk? Like in the best way of like, after we worship, like God's like, I just took your feet out from under you. And you're supposed to feel that way. Stop trying to correct it. Right? So let's just take a second. Listen, while I was standing up here, um, God told me something that I'm supposed to tell you. It's not part of my sermon, but I'm going to say it. You are in a place where you are loved tonight. You are in a place where you are seen. He wants to talk to you. He's just going to use me to do it. But he wants to talk to you. And he has something to say to you. And as I was looking around the room, that is nobody's exempt. He has something for every single person that's here. And while we've been in this place of community and fun, and, and I'm not taking any of that away because I think what we're going to talk about tonight is the best subject in the world. But God's saying, please listen to me. I want to talk to you. It's important. So what we are going to talk about and, and the way that I was going to frame this was for you to encounter God. And we're going to continue to talk about that. We've been talking about that all weekend. But what God told me while I was standing up here is, I want to encounter them. I love them so much. I want to be with them and talk to them and sit with them. So I just want you to understand that this word is for you and that you are here for a reason. And I know what some of that is because some of you all have let me intimately be involved in what's going on in your life, most of you. If we're really honest, I know most of what's going on, right? Um, but I want to talk to you about this idea of encountering God. Listen, you, you don't want to encounter God. You don't want to think about encountering God. You need to encounter God. You need it for your very soul and your very being. I can't think of anything else that you need more. Stop running from it. Stop filling it with something else. Stop encountering everything else before you encounter him. Because you're wasting time and blessing every single time. He's like, I'm right here. Look at everything I have for you. And we run. And we distract. And we divert. Because what will it mean if I encounter you, God? You're going to ask me to do something. You're going to ask me to change something. You're going to ask me to give something up. What if he says, here's everything I have for you. And it's way better than any of that ever was anyway. And you'll never know until you stop and accept the gift. Some of you, I'm talking directly to you, stop running. Because he wants you so bad, and he's in pursuit of this church and in pursuit of you individually. He talks to me about it every day. I pray over you every day. And for those of you all that know you're in my prayer journal, but if you came to this retreat and your name was on the registration, you have been prayed over for a long time now. And he has said, I want to encounter those people. I made them. I created them. I love them more than they could possibly understand. There isn't anything I want to spend my time on but encountering my people. And so we have to lean into that. But listen, we have to be thirsty for that. We have to develop a thirst for that. And, you know, Moses talked about that. And Alicia, we talked about this all weekend of this idea of we have to want that. And we have to seek that. And we have to quest for that. 
How do you develop that thirst? You have to be in the places where you'll actually see what that thirst is going to give you. You have to stay in those places. So, you know, we used to say in the Army that nobody returns from combat unchanged. And that's true. That's a true story. But it's not the change we want, right? Nobody returns from an encounter with God unchanged, and it is the change you want. That's where you want to be changed. Quit letting this world change you the way it wants to. Quit letting it swing you around and throw you out because it doesn't care about you. It doesn't. The only thing that's pure and loving is up there. And we keep running to everything else. Where else can I get the love? Where else can I get the recognition? Where else can I get peace? Where else can I get satisfaction? And God's like, I'm right here. What are you doing? I'm right here in front of you, and you keep bypassing me. And it grieves him every time he's reaching out for you. And sometimes he gets your hand, and you pull it away. Sometimes he can't even get you because you're so far removed from seeking him. You've just completely shut that part of your life off, thinking, I'll get there when I get there, right? And he loses your hand every time. And you, you know what happens like on a water slide, right? Somebody loses your hand, where do you go? Backwards and further away from where you were trying to go. Every single time. We have to stop doing that. We need a divine encounter. But we don't need it once. We need it over and over and over daily, sometimes by the minute, depending on what's going on, right? We need a divine encounter with God. And it should be the thing that we are chasing like nothing we have ever chased before. It will change the course of your day all the way to changing the course of your destiny. Never underestimate the power of an encounter with God. We always think, well, this is too small to take to him. Baloney. And I'm about to read to you some stuff out of the Bible where God says, it's not too small, let's go all the way to where it will change your destiny and the course of your life because you took the time to take the hand of your creator and let him pour into you. And it's all he wants to do. And it costs you nothing in the, in the natural. It costs you everything in the spiritual. But what you get back is 20 times, thousands of times, millions of times more than you ever had to begin with. Stop thinking, I've got enough. I'm good. I'm telling you, you don't have enough. You're missing it. He keeps telling me that. Please bring my people to me. Please get them in my presence. I have things for them. And I want to give it to them. And I can't get there because they're not looking. They won't seek me. Right? It's like, it's like you, you know, you're chasing something and it keeps being elusive. And you can't get there. And you can't get there. And all the damage that happens in the interim every time. Why would we keep doing that? Why do we keep down that path? We have to think about that. <clears throat> everything you ever want, listen, everything you ever want resides in that encounter. There is nowhere where God's going to say, I'll do everything but. Every single place you encounter in this world is going to do everything but. Nowhere is he going to say that to you. You won't, you won't ever expect what you get from that encounter. It'll never be what you expect it to happen. It'll give you answers you didn't even know you needed. 
It's going to reveal the dark parts of you. Man, we don't like that. It's going to shine a light in the dark places that we don't want to look at. And God's saying, get in there with me. Why won't you take me in the dark place with you? Because I'm safe. And that's who you need in that dark place with you. It'll reveal those dark places. It'll get to the heart of whatever issue it is. Not the individual circumstance, because I promise you God is much less concerned about your individual temporary comfort than he is what he's got for you and what he has to reveal to you through these encounters with him. So maybe the encounter's uncomfortable. And we're going to read about that. God doesn't care. Because what he has to give for you is so much better than that momentary circumstantial discomfort. But because we're humans and we want to be comfortable, we skip the encounter because it might be painful and it might bring something up I don't want to look at and it might make me face something and it might make me give something up. And God's saying, you have no idea what's coming, right? I want to walk through a couple of encounters in the Bible with you because, listen, we need to talk about these encounters with Jesus that people had. It's written down for us so that we can look at it and think about it and then apply it in our own lives and say, man, what if I could get that encounter? What if I could meet Jesus like that? What if he could do that for me? So I want to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about four. Now, listen, if you were to go into the Bible and look at the encounters, we can go over it, right? Hundreds, hundreds of encounters throughout the Bible. I'm going to pick out the the four that God spoke to me about when I was praying about this because this is what you need in this room. If I was preaching somewhere else, maybe there'd have been four different ones, right? But he said to me, this is what my people in this room need. So that's what we're going to talk about. The first one we're going to talk about is Jesus wept, right? One of the shortest verses in the Bible. It might be the shortest verse in the Bible. I don't know. Might be, right? It's, I'm going to read it out of John 11, but I'm not going to do that without my glasses because then you would get all kinds of gibberish. God's like, please don't do some gibberish. Listen, Jesus wept comes from a story in John 11 about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And I know some of you know that story, but I want to talk to you about it from what it would means for the encounter that Jesus had there. And it's not the encounter he had with Lazarus. It's the encounter he had with Mary, right? We often see this story completely differently than I think sometimes we need to because it talks about the encounter, right? So in the village of Bethany, there was a man named Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha... Mary was the one who would anoint Jesus' feet with costly perfume and dry his feet with her long hair. So you've heard that story. One day, Lazarus became very sick to the point of death. So his sister sent a message to Jesus. Lord, our brother Lazarus, the one you love, is very sick. Please come. When Jesus heard the news, he said, the sickness will not end in death for Lazarus. It will bring glory and praise to God. This will reveal the greatness of the Son of God by what takes place. Not even Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. I'm sorry. Now, even though Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he remained where he was for two more days after they said, come now. Finally, on the third day, he said, come on, it's time to go to, to Bethany. He said to his disciples, let's go. But teacher, they said, do you want to go there? It was just a short time ago. The people of Judea were going to stone you, right? So he's going back to a place where he's not going to be comfortable. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't do what's only comfortable. He goes where he needs to go, right? Jesus replied, are you not, are there not 12 hours of daylight in every day? You can go through a day without the fear of stumbling when you walk in the one that gives light to the world. But you will stumble when the light is not in you, for you'll be walking in the darkness. Jesus added, Lazarus, our friend, has fallen asleep. It's time to go awaken him. When they heard this, the disciples said, Lord, if he's just fallen asleep, then he'll get better. And Jesus was speaking about Lazarus' death. He knew he hadn't fallen asleep. But the disciples presumed he was talking about a natural sleep. And Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, because now you have another opportunity to see who I am that you will learn to trust in me. Come and let's go. So Thomas, nicknamed the twin, remarked to the other disciples, let's go so that we can die with him. 
Now, when they arrived in Bethlehem, or Bethany, which was two miles from Jerusalem, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Many friends of Mary and Martha had come from the region to console them over the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was approaching the village, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, My Lord, if only you had come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that if you were to ask God for anything, he would do it for you. And Jesus told her, Your brother will rise and live. And she replied, yes, I know he will rise with everyone else on resurrection day. Martha, Jesus said, you don't have to wait until then. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha said, yes, Lord, I do. I've always believed that you are the anointed one, the son of God who has come to the world. Then she left and hurried off to her sister Mary and called her aside from all the mourners and whispered to her, the master is here and he is asking for you. So he is asking for you. So when Mary heard this, she quickly went to find him, for Jesus was lingering outside the village at the same spot where Martha had met him. And Mary's friends who were comforting her noticed how quickly she ran out of the house. They followed her, assuming she was going to the tomb of her brother to mourn. And when Mary finally found Jesus outside the village, she fell to his feet in tears and said, If Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus looked at Mary and saw her weeping at his feet and all her friends who were there grieving, he shuddered with emotion and he deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. And some translations tell us Jesus wept there. He is going to restore Lazarus. He's not going to die. But that's not what Jesus is focused on right there. What he's focused on is Mary is grieving and he's going to sit right down there with her and cry with her. Now listen, I know you all have had loss in your life that didn't get restored in the way that the story gets restored. I understand that. Sometimes God restores us from it. Sometimes he makes, it go, it makes us go through it. I understand that. Because we think, but Jesus didn't bring my loved one back. Jesus didn't do that. But he made us go through it. But guess what? He sat right there while you cried. And he stayed until he needed to go. He cried with you and will continue to cry with you. You know, my dad died eight years ago and I was furious at God, furious at him and didn't want anything to do with God. And he said, that's okay because I'm going to cry with you until you look back up at me. I'll just stay here. I'll just stay here. And it took a long time. I'm a stubborn mo, right? Because I was like, no, you took the one thing that was the most important to me in my life and I'm done with you. And he was like, oh, you're not done with me. You have no idea what I have for you, and I'm going to sit right here. Listen, when you're in tears and you can't figure out what you need, right there. Jesus, come sit with me while I weep. Come sit with me while I cry. Hold my hand. When you're in those dark places and you're weeping, why would you go anywhere else? We don't need anything else. That's where what you need is. That's the encounter you need. Right there in that place when you think it's all gone. Listen, Jesus brought restoration there. He brought it quickly for them. Sometimes we don't get it that quickly, right? I'm eight years down the line from my dad's death, and I would tell you there's things that aren't, still aren't restored. But, man, there's places that are light years beyond where I was eight years ago, light years beyond, where I can sit and say to God, wow, what a blessing that I had that dad for 42 years. What a blessing that my child was six months old and you got to hold her before you died. What a blessing. But man, before that, before that encounter where God actually looked in my eyes and said, I'm right here and I paid attention, I couldn't have heard any of that. He will restore whatever has happened. 
He will restore it. It may not look the way you want it to. It may not look the way you expected it to. But he will restore it. But we have to encounter him. What are we doing with the camera? <laughs> um, okay, so... We have, so Jesus wept is our first, that's our first encounter that I want you guys to think about, okay? We're going to think about this idea of, of sitting with Jesus. The next thing I want to talk to you about is the woman at the well. And you've heard this story about the Samaritan woman over and over. But the second encounter I want to talk to you about is Jesus' love. So we see him go into Samaria. He, he meets this Samaritan woman. The Jewish and the Samaritans did not ever cross over. They never had anything to do with each other at all. He sits down at the well because he's going to encounter um, the people in that area because he has to go through, and he knows that, right? And so this woman comes to the well in the middle of the day because she's a social outcast, and there's many things going on in her life, and she encounters Jesus in that place. And he didn't have to do anything with her. He could have gotten up and moved on. He didn't have to do anything with her. But what did he do? He went into that place, sat down next to that well with the Samaritan woman. And this is in John 4. I'm just going to read a really small portion of it to you because it is a long story and you should read the whole thing if you haven't read it. But he sat down in that place with her and she encountered him there. And she said to him, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink from this well? Why would you do that? And Jesus replied, if only you knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I'd be your living water. If only you knew who I was. Do you know who I am? She says, but sir, you don't even have a bucket and the well is very deep. And they go through this whole conversation. And Jesus says to her, he starts recounting instances about her life. Because sometimes we encounter Jesus and we think it's right now, right? And Jesus is bringing everything to that moment. He already knows everything that has ever hurt you, everything that was ever joyful to you, everything that's worrying you, everything that you're focused on. He brings all that into that encounter with you and he stands there with you. And that's what he did with the Samaritan woman. She's saying, why would you encounter me? And he's saying, oh, this is not about this encounter. I know everything about you and I love you and I'm what you need. Jesus loves you. He wants to encounter you near that well where you don't think anybody wants to encounter you, where you don't think anybody loves you. She was out at that well alone because she didn't think anybody wanted anything to do with her. And so she was far removed. And he said, I love you, and I see you, and I'm going to give you everything you need right here. Jesus loves us and encounters us in this place. When you don't feel loved, when you feel like you don't belong anywhere, when you feel like you can't figure it out, when you need that one kind of love that's unconditional, that doesn't require anything from you except for you to show up, there's only one place to get that. Where else are you going to go? There's nowhere else to get that. It resides right there, so find your well. Right? Find the place where you're going to encounter Jesus and say, I need you to see me, look through me, tell me everything that's going on, and that you love me anyway. Right there. And stay there until you feel it, until you know it's true. I really do love you. I really do see you. I know you. I know who you are. And I know everything that's happened to get you to this point, and I don't care. That's essentially what Jesus said to that woman. I don't care. I know everything that got you here, and I love you anyway, and I'm going to restore all of it. She was an outcast, and she ends up, if you read through that story in John, she ends up going back into the village and recounting the whole thing to everybody. She's now the person giving all the news to everybody, and everybody's listening and saying, what? What's going on, right? She becomes a completely different person through the encounter because of the love that God gave to her. 
that's one of those places where it didn't change the circumstance, it changed the whole destiny. It changed the whole route for her. Everything changed for her in that encounter with God because what most people would have done is there's something there that's unknown to me. There might be something asked there, I'm leaving, right? She could have very easily turned and gone the other direction from that well because she was coming at noon in the middle of the day purposely to not encounter anybody. And you do it all the time. Oh, crap, Jesus is right there. I'm out of here. He's looking at me. I'm done. I'm not coming. Or I know I can get, I know he wants to encounter me and I'm going to stay out of every single place that he could possibly get to me. I'm going to go everywhere he's not. Dangerous business to spend your time somewhere God's not occupying. And we do it all the time because we don't want to encounter him sometimes. We know he loves us, but he might ask something. He might say something to us that's way too true. And then what do we do? We have to own it. The Samaritan woman couldn't say, Jesus, that's not true. Baloney. He knows everything. He knows what's true. There is no let me hide it. It is true. Right? And you do it every time. And what do you miss? The unconditional, unfettered love of God, the person who made you. Because you'd rather go anywhere but right there. You'd rather get your love from somebody who's going to mistreat you. You'd rather get your love from a bottle. You'd rather get your love from some silly crap on TV. You'd rather get your love from somebody who couldn't care less about you. And God's right there going, I'm right here. What are you doing? Right? Because I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to love on you till you're full. And then, oh, by the way, you can come back again and again and again, and you can sit at that well over and over and over, and I'll pour it out and pour it out and pour it out because he's not limited. Every single human you know is limited in their ability to love you right now. They're limited. You won't get what you need. Not in the spiritual sense for your soul. God is not limited, and you're putting the limit on him because you won't let him in. Stop running from an encounter with God where he wants to love on you. And I would tell some of you, you need to freaking lay out flat on your face and make it where you can't move, right? Because some of you always have one foot. Okay, Marcy, I'll go in, but one foot staying over here because I'm not going to tow totally in because I lose all control. I am telling you that God has told me that you must cede control, all of it. All of it has to go. Whatever you're holding is hindering you. I promise you it's hindering you. Jesus wants to cry with you. He wants to be in that space and he wants to restore. And he wants to love on you in a way that nobody else can. You will never have an encounter with anything or anyone else that will give you what you'll get from him. And some of you don't know it because you won't stop long enough to even try. And some of you have seen it and you won't go back. And some of us will encounter him, but only to a certain extent. Every single person needs to go deeper. Every single person needs to require more of that encounter. Require more of yourself and require more of your faith and your expectation about what God can do for you. It will be amazing what will come out of that when you will sit long enough to get that, right? Third encounter I want to talk about is the encounter of Jesus with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. So we're about to get to Easter next weekend, right? And then Jesus was resurrected, and then there was a portion of time where he had not ascended to heaven yet. And so he shows himself to certain people in the Bible. If you have not read this portion of the Bible, it's amazing. 
You should get in there and read this portion of the gospel where Jesus shows himself. And he shows himself to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Listen, Jesus is gone. Their world is turned upside down. They are scared. They are now outcasts. They are running. They are trying to figure out what they're going to do because he was their protection and he is now gone physically, right? And they told him, I will be back, but it won't be in the same form where you sit with me every day in physical form and you touch me. And so two of his disciples are on the road to Emmaus. And they're scared and they're worried and they don't know what they're going to do and they're talking. And someone approaches, just walks up in the midst of their conversation and he starts to speak to them about what's wrong. And they're like, what do you mean what's wrong? You don't know what's wrong? Everybody knows what's wrong. Jesus is dead. It's all going to crap, right? We're done. That's it. Everybody's throwing up their hands. We're running. We don't know what to do. Do I keep stepping on that? Is that what I'm doing? Sorry, I'll quit stepping on it. You can turn it off Um, because it's blinding me. But anyway, um, so (laughs) you're all big blue dots now. Um, so, So they're on the road to Emmaus and Jesus comes up and he's like, hey, what's going on? And he tells them, they tell him what's going on. And they're having this whole conversation. Thank you. I'll quit stepping on that. I apologize. Um, In a minute, you guys won't be blue dots. But I can't see anything now, so who knows what I'm going to read you. All right, so they're, uh, they're walking on the road to Emmaus, right? And they're, they're, Jesus is there with them. Now listen, how many times do you think that you're, God's standing right next to you, like walking along with you, while you're just having a conversation, totally unaware that he's even there? Because he loves you that much. Right? Every time you get on the phone with me, every time we get on Zoom, every time we stand out here and talk, Jesus just heard that whole conversation. He's standing right there. He's always standing right there in every interaction, every encounter. But we need to look at the encounter on the road to Emmaus because I want it. I want to make sure we understand what he was doing there. I'm going to read this part to you out of Luke. This is what I love about the Gospels. Right? Some of the stories aren't found in other places. Make sure you know that and don't just read one because it's fantastic when you read all four. Some of the things aren't found in other places, but I'm going to read this part to you out of Luke. Okay, and so there's just a small part I want to read to you here. As they approach, so, they're, so Jesus starts to talk to them, right? And he says, um, he says, why are you so thick-headed? What did you find so hard to believe about the prophets that have spoken, right? They said I was coming back. Why are you so worried? What is going on? Why are your circumstances pitching you off the ledge, right? I told, I told you I was coming back. Um, and, and he goes through all the scriptures. He, goes, he begins with Moses and he goes through all the prophets and he carefully unveils all this revelation to them. What a freaking Bible study that must have been. I'm encountered Jesus, and he's like, let me go through every single prophecy that's ever happened. Like, I want to be in that Bible study. I'm a huge Bible nerd, but I want to be in that Bible study, right? Where God's like, or Jesus is like, I'm just going to walk with you here and run you through everything that's ever happened. And all the prophecy that's been fulfilled through me. And let me just remind you of all that. Like, what a conversation is that? I want to have that encounter. So when somebody comes up on the, on the side of the road and wants to get in conversation with me about God, maybe I should pay attention to that. Because in this case, there was Jesus, and they didn't know it. They were hearing from him, right, about what had gone on. Right, he goes through all of it. And as they, as they approach the village, Jesus walks on ahead, telling them he was going on to a distant place. And they urged him to remain there with them and pleaded, please stay with us. It'll be dark soon. So he joins them at a table for supper. And suddenly in a flash, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus vanishes before him, right? So they, and they're stunned and they look at each other and say, why didn't we recognize him? Jesus is right in front of you all the time and you don't even know it. Do you know how many of you tell me, Jesus is not paying any attention, he's not answering any of my prayers. He's right there. You're not looking. He doesn't play cat and mouse with us. 
right? And they were his disciples. They had walked alongside him and they're saying, why didn't we recognize him? He was right next to us, talking us through all this scripture, explaining all these prophecies to us. And we didn't recognize him. And now he's gone. He's vanished again, right? He's gone. So they leave at once and they hurry back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples. Okay, so then those two disciples tell the others what had happened. And then I want, I want to get to this part. So um, they, they go, Jesus comes and they're still discussing all this with the disciples back in, in um, <clears throat> excuse me, as they're coming out, what had happened to them on the road to Emmaus. And there, Jesus appears again. So old boy is not done after one appearance. He comes right back. Well, now I got your attention a little. Now I'm coming again because you're too dumb to realize, like, stay in this moment with me. So he's got to, like, come again, right? Like, I got to show myself again. He wants to ascend to heaven, but we are too dumb. And he's got to stay here and say, listen, it's me, right? He's, and so he, he appears again right in front of their eyes. And, and the disciples are startled like they're seeing a ghost. And he says, listen, he doesn't say listen, I know you're scared and here's your circumstance and here's what's going on and let me talk you through what you need to do and go over here and do this. He says, be at peace. Be at peace. What if we could just encounter God to get the peace? Why do we always need the circumstance to change? Why do we always need him to move something or clear something or get that annoying person out of my way or get this out of my way or give me more of this or do that? Why? Why can't we just encounter him for the peace? He did not go ahead of the disciples and clear the way for them. They still had a whole lot of stuff going on and we're going to read Acts as we go into the next few months and we're going to see what they had going on. He didn't clear a single circumstance for them. Nothing. He said encounter me and be at peace. I'm right here. Everything I promised you is right here. I will cry with you, right? I will love you and I will bestow peace on you no matter what is going on. Every single time I talk to you, you say, here's what I'm doing to be peaceful. I'm unsettled and here's the 27 things I'm doing to be peaceful. And very rarely is that I am encountering God on a daily basis. Nobody calls me, Marcy, I've encountered God five times today. They do call me and say, Marcy, everybody is pissing me off. <laughs> the disciples were pissed off. Like I know, Jesus knows, right? And Jesus says, I give you peace. I'm not removing any annoying people out of your path. You have a job to do. Love on them like I loved on you. I'm not giving you anything else. Do what I told you to do with what I already gave you. Right? I'm not fixing that relationship because you're being disobedient. Fix it. I'm not removing that, that anxiety and that fear because you're looking to something else and I need you to look at me and you won't do it until that gets worse, until it gets stronger. Right? Encounter him for the peace he can give you, not for what he can change. Because listen, if you'll really sit in the peace just one time, you'll realize that most of that crap really doesn't have the effect on you that you think it does. You are giving it the power. It doesn't have it unless you do it. And Jesus is the only one who can reduce and dilute the power and you won't go get it. You'll do everything else, 
Man, we'll take a pill, we'll drink a drink, we'll watch some stupid show, we'll scroll Instagram for five hours. We'll do everything else in the book. And I listen, I'm not impugning medical science and all the things that God, I'm not impugning that. But I, what I'm saying is, why can't we just say, God, here's the crap. And God will say, yeah, I don't care. Here's my peace. The crap all becomes highly unimportant in the presence of his peace. And if you can't grab that, you're going to stay in the crap. And I am telling you, every day God tells me, Marcy, get him out of the crap. Because you were not born to stay there. You were occupying space that isn't meant for you. No wonder it's uncomfortable. No wonder it sucks. You're not supposed to be living there. Move out. Yes, get your crap and move. Because if it's crappy, it's not for you. You are a chosen child of God with an inheritance, and you're living in the junk pile. You chose it. God didn't give it to you. He didn't move you in there. So get your crap and leave. Go to the Bible, encounter him, and get some peace. And bring it with you. Because the peace is not circumstantial and it's not geographical. You own it. And you cede it to something else every day. When are we going to say, that's mine? Back off, Satan. Back off. And that's mine. You don't get it. And I'm going to infuse it into every area of my life. And I'm going to make sure it goes into every nook and cranny and every thought and every interaction. I'm going to be so overwhelmed with the peace of God that I'm almost walking up off the ground. Over and over and over. And you may have to do that 500 times a day sometimes. I am not acting like this is easy. I have to do this 500 times a day sometimes. I'm not being flippant about this. It is hard. The disciples were not being flippant about that. It is hard. What else do you have to spend your freaking time on? Right? We're so busy. When was the last time you encountered Jesus in a way that brought you a peace that was overwhelming? You aren't that damn busy. Give it up. You need to surrender, I'm telling you. Every one of us thinks we're too busy to encounter God in a way that he's telling you to do it, and you are missing out every time. Last thing I'm going to talk to you about, last encounter, it's the calm and the storm, right? Talks about it in Matthew 8. You've all heard the story, so I'm just going to read it real quickly because I want to talk about this for a second. Right? They all get into the boat, Jesus, the disciples, they're going to move to cross to the other side of a lake, and Jesus falls asleep. Suddenly, a violent storm develops with waves so high the boat was about to be swamped, and Jesus continues to sleep soundly. And the disciples wake up saying, save us, Lord, we're going to die. But Jesus reprimanded them. Why are you gripped with fear? Where is your faith? And he stood and rebuked the storm, saying, be still. And instantly, it became perfectly calm. The disciples were astonished by this miracle and said, who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey his word. When the storm comes, the first thing you do is wake Jesus up. It's not the first thing we do. First thing we do is call somebody who can't help us. Second thing we do is gossip with somebody. That's not going to help us. Third thing we do is become the victim. I can't do anything about it. This is my life. This is, this is what happens to me. Wake Jesus up. Jesus, storm's coming. Yep, I got it. He'll stand up in your boat 
just as quick as he stood up for them, and he'll calm it. It may not go away. It doesn't say the storm went away. Don't misread the scripture. It doesn't say that. It says he calmed it. Meaning that they could then reset and recenter in the fact that he has them. We don't know what was still going on. They still had a long journey to go in that water. It doesn't say the storm went away. It said it was calmed. Listen, the biggest lesson Jesus has taught me in the last probably seven years, I'm, it's hard to teach me a lesson. It's probably taken seven years. <laughs> biggest lesson he's taught me is, I'm not going to change your circumstance, Marcy. I'm going to change you. And while you keep looking for me to change your circumstance, I can't change you. And you can't encounter me in this way until you will look up and get out of your circumstance. He doesn't care about your circumstance. Don't be confused. He cares about you and that you are able to encounter him to receive his love, to receive him crying with you and sitting with you and restoring you, to receive his peace and for him to stand up in your boat and calm the storm so that you can look to him and get what you need. Not so that the storm goes away and you don't have to deal with it. He never said that. He never said you're not going to deal with it. But what if you deal with it with him? What if we encounter him and we deal with the storm with him? What if we learn from him and we take the things that he has for us and the next time the storm comes, because it will, the Bible says everywhere the storm will come, every time, it will come again. We're better equipped and we have him stand up in the boat quicker. The boat doesn't rock as much the next time. We have better equipping. We have better tools. Our faith is more intact. We go quicker and we encounter him faster, right? He's right there. There's no delay. Encounter him quickly in those places. Find him. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't want to be... Well, I said this to you all last time. It's not true. I do want to be dramatic. I don't know why I say that. I tell my daughter all the time, don't be dramatic. I think it's, a, I think it's like a thing with me. Like, I don't want to be dramatic. I'm going to be dramatic. Your life depends on this. It depends on it. The life that you were intended to live as a chosen child of God depends on you giving up. Take your freaking white knuckles off of whatever it is and give it up and go encounter the one who made you. Go encounter the one who knows you better than anybody, loves you more than anybody, and has everything you need. There is nobody else. Listen, we're gonna, we're gonna go into prayer. Why would you leave here without encountering God? Why? He's standing in this room saying, I'm right here. Come to me. Come find me. So here's what I want us to do. We'll get the worship team to come back up. Can Alf, will you, yeah, bring him in. We're going to play softly for a few minutes. Here's what I want to do. You can go ask somebody to help you encounter God, and you can get in prayer. You can encounter God in your own seat. But I don't implore you ever, ever. I've never in the history of this, well, that's not true. Some of you individually, but collectively I've never implored you. I'm imploring you. Don't leave until you get what God brought you here to give you. Don't. Because otherwise, 
tomorrow and the next day and the day after that are living at a deficit because you left here without whatever he brought you here to give you. And I don't know what it is. Some of you, I got a pretty good guess. Some of you know exactly who I'm talking to. He brought you here for a reason. He's got something to give you. Don't leave without it. So we'll have prayer team in the back. Go back and have somebody help usher you in. All God says to me over and over and over is get people in my presence. We'll do whatever we have to do. I'll lay on the floor with you. We'll, we'll freaking sing. We'll do whatever we got to do. We'll do whatever we have to do. Paul Little and I were talking about this. I think it was yesterday, Paul, right? Yesterday we were talking about, we've been praying over your back how long? How many years? Three years. And you know what we said to each other last night? We're going to keep going, right? Till we get the encounter we need. Don't give up till you get what you need. So it starts now. We do it tonight. We encounter God together. Whatever that looks like. On your knees, in front of your chair. Lay on, I don't care. Lay on the floor. Get with somebody to help you. We don't even sometimes need words, guys. Sometimes we just connect up and God comes in. You do whatever you have to do. But listen to me. Surrender now. Because some of you are sitting in your chairs being like, eh, I'm not doing that. And I'm telling you, God's telling you, give it up. He wants you. He is pursuing you. He wants an encounter with you. If you won't do it for yourself, do it for God. Do it for the God who made you, who wants nothing more than to stand in front of you and gaze into your eyes and tell you how much he loves you. Why would you walk away from that? There's no reason. And your life will be exponentially better. If you trust me at all, trust that statement. You will not leave here unchanged. Your life will be exponentially better by encountering God. So I'm going to ask the prayer team to go to the back for me, please. I don't care what you have to do. Get on your knees. Get on your face. Whatever you have to do. But we're going to encounter God in this place tonight. And we're going to leave Long Island with whatever he brought us out here to give us. And we're not giving it back. Yes? So worship team, would you all play for us for a few minutes while we do some, some prayer? And then we're going to worship and hand over that encounter to him and praise and lift it up. <laughs> 